We're all over this like a hobo and a ham sandwich. It is 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell if you prefer. It is one talk That will be toll-free for the remainder of this show, the Wednesday night edition of the Employment Hour. And if you have not been here before, welcome. Come on in. Water's warm. We talk about employment, severance rights, workplace rights. Your boss, maybe you are the boss, doesn't matter. Bring it on. John Pink is here to answer all your questions here tonight on the phones and emails as well. That is help at employmenthour.com. We do this Monday night. We do it Wednesday night this time as well, of course, right now. Weekend shows and Employment Hour in 30 happens on Global TV and CTV on your weekend mornings. If you haven't caught our mugs on TV, you can do that this coming weekend. But without further ado, my friend, uh, revisiting the Ten Commandments of Termination and lots more good stuff coming up tonight. But first, the uh, the week that was, JP, what is going on? Yeah, good to be here, John. And the great thing about uh, these shows is we talk about employment law, but we also get to talk to people and answer their questions right here on air. So uh, hopefully a lot of people will hear us tonight and uh, ask whatever questions they have about their situation. Yep. So a couple of situations that I came across over the last week or so. Uh, the first was a salesperson I spoke to who worked for a company for about two and a half years. Uh, he's 60 years old and earned a total compensation of about $90,000 a year. A lot mm-hmm. of commissions in there. Yep. So the company said, well, okay, you've been here two and a half years. The Employment Standards Act says we only need to provide you with two weeks' pay. But we're nice. So we're going to provide you with four weeks' base uh-huh. pay. Well, he went on the severance pay calculator and found out that, in fact, he was owed much more than that, potentially as much as six months of his full pay and commissions. Well, the time he contacted me, he told me that he'd actually tried to negotiate on his own, but the company wouldn't budge. So I asked him, well, how much did you ask for? Well, the answer, unfortunately, was three months' salary and commissions. Now, for him, this was particularly unfortunate because by the time he'd contacted me, he'd already been employed uh, for a month, and now we're going into the summer. He's 60 years old, and he, he may very well be employed for a lot longer than three months. And by starting the negotiations there, the company is now going to assume that, well, if he comes back with a lawyer, that's now the ceiling for discussions, when, of course, he could be owed so much more than that. Now, now I told him, all is not lost. Okay, we can still help. It just means that for us to negotiate, I had to make some additional efforts to explain to the company that notwithstanding the fact that he was okay with three months, he's actually owed more than that, and it looks like he's going to be unemployed for longer than that. So we had to make clear that his previous offer was not only reasonable, but too low given how long he was actually going to be out of a job, and of course, given how much he was entitled to. Now, I'm pleased to say that it does look like we are on our way to a more reasonable severance package for this individual. But, but there is a lesson, I think, to be learned here, and, and that's why I, I'm sharing it. Um, now, certainly as employment lawyers, it's not our place to tell people not to try to negotiate on their own if that's what they want to do. Uh, but it is important to remember that there, there can be consequences to trying to do that. Now, this gentleman, in, in his defense, just wanted to be reasonable and figured, hey, if I go low, then we'll, we'll reach a quick settlement. But the reality is that most companies will see that as a sign of weakness to negotiate on your own, and it will make negotiations more difficult, potentially, if you, try to ret- if you decide to retain an employment lawyer later. Right. Now, of course, there, there's always exceptions. You know, in my experience, for the vast majority of employees who try to negotiate on their own, it tends not to go very well. And, and the reason for, for this, uh, to me, is clear, and, and that's because when I act for employers, if someone is, if an individual who has just been let go tries to negotiate a severance package without legal representation, 
I always tell my employer clients the same thing. This person is not serious. They're yeah. not going to sue. Don't worry about it. And, and a lot of the times that is the case. And so for this reason, an employee is very, very often going to be unsuccessful when they try to settle a case on their own. Now, not always, but most of the time. So what I will say, uh, which I think is a rule that, that can be applied across the board for employees who are listening, um, who may have just received a severance package, if you are going to try to negotiate on your own, at the very least, please do not sell yourself short. Uh, if you ask for an amount that's unreasonably high, that that's something that we can that we can deal with as employment lawyers, and generally won't infa- affect negotiations at all. But right. if you go too low, that can be a difficult problem to fix. I mean, the best case, the, usually the best thing to do is speak to an employment lawyer, and then you can make your decision if you want to try to negotiate on your own, or if you think you're going to need assistance. And I mean, while you're at it, have a look at the severance pay calculator as well. It'll give you a nice ballpark, a good uh, and a ground level to go from as far as what you should properly be owed as far as your, your common law rights are concerned, right? Exactly. If you go on the severance oh. pay calculator, often you'll see a range because yeah. uh, full entitlements under the common law are a range. Uh, and so if you are going to negotiate on your own and you think you're going to be unemployed for a long time, then it would be appropriate to start at the upper end or, or at least around the upper end of that mm. range. Uh so I think that's a reasonable thing to do. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell and one 225 talk If you have any questions tonight, bring them on about your uh, your job, your severance. This is the time to ask for sure. Well, John is here to uh, to answer them. What else you got going on? So the second situation is one that I, I come across very often. So this was, I was speaking to a lady who worked for 10 years uh, for yeah. kind of a mid-sized company as an independent contractor. <laughs> there, You know where it's going, pursuant yeah. to an agreement that she signed in 2009. Right. So last week, the company told her that the company had been seriously suffering financially, and therefore they had to, quote, end her contract. Then they referred to her contract from 2009 and said, well, pursuant to clause so-and-so, we only have to give you two weeks' notice. Two weeks. That's it. Why? Because you're an independent contractor. And they said, well, we'll give you another $500 if you sign this nice release document. Well, thank goodness she didn't sign it. Uh, And I'll explain in a moment why. Now, whenever I have a situation like this, there's always a few questions I go through with the client. And and here's what we discovered in the case of this individual. Now, first of all, uh, this lady only had one other source of income, and it only accounted for 5% of her overall income. She worked from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. They gave right. her a desk, although it was more of one of those hoteling situations. So she didn't have an office per se, but she had a desk. She had a, she had a laptop. She was paid the exact same thing every week. She participated in meetings and sales contests. She didn't have anyone working for her as a subcontractor. There were really only two things that made her a so-called independent contractor. And, and uh, for those who can't see me, I'm using air quotes. Uh, <laughs> they paid her as a contractor, as in, you know, they, they charged her HST. They didn't make any deductions at source for CPP and EI. And they had a signed agreement, of course, labeling her as an independent contractor. Well, in fact, that agreement, like many agreements that are like that, is not worth the paper that it's written on. Because the law doesn't care what the signed agreement says. The law cares what you are. And this person was an employee at law. Full stop. No question. And as an employee, she was entitled to severance. And in fact, I determined that in this particular case, she was owed at least eight months' pay. And that happened to be over 40 
thousand dollars. So we are going uh, certainly a lot more than five hundred dollars plus two weeks' pay. So we're going to go ahead and seek that severance for her. And the company is in for quite a wake-up call because they have many other employers, employees under this uh, completely illegal arrangement. Uh, so they have some serious exposure here. So uh, what I would say here is. Um, don't assume just because your employer had you sign an independent contract, independent contractor agreement, means that you have uh, no rights as an employee. Uh, just because an agreement says you get a certain amount of termination pay or notice, uh, does not mean that it's your actual right, right. Um, at law. So um, the other thing is this. Um, this particular uh, company had claimed that the reason that they had to terminate her was because they were in dire financial circumstances. Well, that's that's not an excuse at law. The law doesn't care uh, how the company is doing. They have an obligation to give you notice, and if they don't give you notice, they have to pay you in lieu. That way to uh, reach out, by the way, when we're not on air, John's doing his thing back at the office, one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com. But for the purpose of this show, you want to talk now during this hour, that'd be beauty, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell, one 225 talk is toll free. Chris, thank you for hanging on. How are you? I am well. Thank you for taking my call. No worries. What's going on? I just had a question. I worked um, as a sales representative for a company now 12 years. There's been some shifts in management over that time. And initially, uh, I drive a company car, and when I leave my house, I drive to my first call, and I'm working for the company. Uh, Initially, when I started with the company, that drive time was considered uh, not business hours, and it was not allocated as part of our day. We had a shift in management, and the new management said, oh, no, absolutely. As soon as a, a sales rep gets into their car and they drive to the first call they're working for us, that drive time is considered part of their workday. We then had another shift in management who took that privilege away or took that rule away saying, nope, that drive time is not considered part of your workday. So I guess I just have a question as to really, from an employment law standard, is, is there a standard or is that at the call of the employer? Well, there, there's there's two uh, two sort of issues that we have to look at here. There's an employment standards issue, and then there is a contractual issue. And it's actually the contractual issue that I'd be particularly concerned about in your case. Now, generally speaking, time spent traveling under the Employment Standards Act, time spent traveling during the course of a workday is considered to be work time and is compensable, generally speaking. Um, unlike commuting time, which, of course, is not going to be considered work time. But in your case, what is interesting in particular is that you were, as I understand it, and and, and if if I'm hearing you right, you were at one point compensated for this. Yes, it was at one point considered working as soon as we sat in the car and took off. Right, okay. And and you're compensated on an hourly basis, or is it strictly commission? It is uh, a salary and then commission on top of that. Okay, so... We're we're required to put in our, our... or 40 hours per week, and right. so at one point, that drive time was allocated into the 40 hours per week, but now it is not in the 40 hours per week. That's outside of that. Right. So I, I think in your case, it's it's quite simpler than that, because what this looks like or sounds like to me is simply a, a reduction in pay, uh, and an employer cannot reduce your pay um, if you're working the same amount of time, if you're doing the same amount of work. So um, that may be a violation of your employment contract, and, and that may very well be a breach of contract that you have a right to enforce. 
Now, the interesting thing is there is nothing in our contract that uh, stipulates this condition either way. Right. But remember that contracts aren't always written. Contracts can be verbal as well. And if you have an arrangement, and I don't know, how, how long have you been working for this employer? Twelve years. Twelve years. Okay. And, and how long were you being paid for this travel time? Oh, I'm trying to think back now. It, it was a, a period of probably of about three to four years that they, uh, in the middle, like it was in the, the white part of the Oreo cookie. So right. you know, in the middle of, of my tenure here, it was maybe about three to four years that that was considered part of our work time. Right. So employment standards issues aside, I, I think that there is a breach of contract issue here that has to be dealt with. Um, and that that is probably the more, more significant one, because if this is an arrangement that you decide um, you're not prepared to tolerate, then you may have an option um, to treat this as a termination. Now, I, I certainly would not do that before speaking to an employment lawyer, uh, because right. you have to be very, very careful um, about uh, leaving your employment. Uh, but if this is something that you first of all, want to enforce. I mean, one of the things you can do is you can have uh, an employment lawyer write a letter basically saying, this is a term of her employment and you are now violating uh, the implied, the what, what's effectively crystallized as a term of your employment. And therefore, we expect you to start paying her again. And, and that is often enough to get the employer to say, okay, fine, you know what, we'll, we'll work something out. And if it's a situation, if they're not prepared to do that, then you may have an option to say, I'm going to go work somewhere else and I'm going to seek compensation for the time it takes me to find a job from this employer, depending on how much you've actually lost. So what I would want, what I would recommend that you do is, is give us a call. And what we, what we can do during a, you know, during a private confidential phone call with you is go through exactly how much your pay has, has been reduced. And then we can talk about, you know, based on your objectives, what's the best way forward? Do you want to um, treat this as a termination now? Do you want to try and enforce the original agreement you, ha- you had with them that you are compensated for this time? Uh, we may want to explore some employment standards issues that they may be, uh, that, that may be at issue here. Uh, but I would certainly, before you take any action, I would give us a call and I, I would do it soon before this becomes the new norm at your job. That's, that's what we need to be careful of. Chris, appreciate that call. We're going to let you go. A lot of uh, a lot to unpack there, so do give John a call at the firm. Write this down, one 855 821 com. We'll take our first break for the night. Take a short break. Mike, Laurie, I see you guys uh, standing by in the wings. Wait, hang on the line. We will get to you and you as well. Plenty of time for your phone calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. It's the Employment Hour, Wednesday night edition on Global News Radio. You sure are. Plenty of time for you to call in and uh, ask your questions. John Pinkett, of course, is in the big chair tonight. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on your cell. That is the way to go. We will get to uh, to Lori. Hey, Lori. Hello there. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Great. Uh, what's uh, what's your question? I have a question for a friend of mine. Um, she um, is 51 years old. She's operations supervisor. Um, they were going to change things up in her department, so they wanted to force her to resign, and she refused to uh, sign the uh, resignation letter. Hmm. They pro- promised her another job in the department, and uh, she went in to have a meeting with them in regards to that, and then they terminated her with uh, willful misconduct. And uh, what did they claim as the willful misconduct? They listed uh, some allegations against her which weren't true. Okay. And how long has your friend been uh, employed there? Four years. Four years. 
Okay. So, um, the I mean, the key here is is the allegations that have been made against her, right? I mean, it, clearly, if the allegations are not substantiated, if if they're not true, then they're not going to be able to establish that they're true, and she's going to be wrongfully dismissed. And if she's wrongfully dismissed. Um, and she is, uh, you know, she's working as a supervisor, and she's been there for four years, fifty-one years old. You know, a conservative uh, assessment of her entitlements in this kind of situation would be probably six months of pay, uh, which, you know, depending on her salary, could be very significant. So the key issue here is, of course, going to be just cause. What, you know, what was she accused of? Um, and um, you know, if if without even knowing what she's accused of, if it's not true, then of course it's not going to be just cause. So it sounds like your friend should give us a call so we can go through the allegations that have been made uh, against her in detail and talk about uh, what uh, you know wh- where they're coming from. And if uh, if if in fact there's there's nothing to them, then this is the kind of situation where we should be negotiating a severance package for her. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Laurie. Appreciate that. And uh, again, to uh, to continue on and talk to John, very simple, one 821 5900 Still plenty of time for you to call through and ask your questions here, 416-870-6400, star 640, on your cell. Amanda, thank you for hanging on. Good evening. Hello? Hi. Hi, Amanda. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, my question is, my sister, uh, so let me give you a little bit of a background. She has uh, two disabilities. She's partially deaf and partially blind. She was employed at a hospital and was terminated with cause. Uh, this was, uh, they filed a grievance, her union filed a grievance saying that this was a, uh, she wasn't accommodated. And then later on, they were going back and forth with the employer. And they decided that, yes, she was, uh, they're correct, like she has a case of human rights. And uh, they are offering her uh, four months of paid if she signs a resignation. Now, she has been working in this hospital for four years. And since the new manager came in effect, she's been essentially being accused of making mistakes, making not, not looking at certain things. And so her family doctor wrote a letter to her stating that my sister had these disabilities and that had to be accommodated. Even when she started four years ago and she had the interview in the board with the doctors to be hired, she mentioned about her disabilities. So it was never accommodated and the union gave her an option saying, well, this is what they're offering you. Now we can take it definitely to the human rights and to court, but um, it's her decision, right, to make. So I want to know what you make of this. And also, she mentioned to her union that her manager was being, has been said to her peers to be looking at her mistakes only and to make notes of it uh, while she was on vacation. So right, this is right. also a case of discrimination. So what do you think about that? Well, your your friend has has already is already sort of well into this process with the union, and and going through the union is the correct way to to challenge a termination for someone who is unionized. Um, to the extent that she has human rights, uh, you know, human rights issues that she needs to still uh, pursue, um, she may be able to pursue that separately without the union at the, um, depending on what kind of organization, the federal or the provincial uh, human rights tribunal. Um, 
but the question is, I think that there's a, a legitimate question as to whether there's a you know additional benefit that's actually going to be realized by going that route, given the offer that they have uh, made to her so far. So uh, this is the kind of thing that I, I think she would probably want to call, give us a call, and so we can talk about it in a little bit more detail. We certainly wouldn't be able to represent her with respect to the unionized issue because the union does have the right for sort of exclusive representation with respect to ter- the termination itself. We may be able to represent her with respect to and assist her with respect to the human rights issues because that that is a separate matter. Um, but it may not make sense to do that in light of what's being offered to her right now. So I think it's the kind of situation where she has to get where she should give an employment lawyer a call, uh, and you know the first thing is is to talk about that you know she's already in a union and already partially through this process, and then explore if there's maybe um, other things that an employment lawyer can do for her at the human rights tribunal if she doesn't want to accept the offer that she's been given. Uh, okay, and also the fact that they're asking her to do this if she signs a resignation instead of a, like, because the idea was for her to get her job back due to this kind of wrongful dismissal. Um, right. Well, that that's more of an issue for the union, right? The union may seek reinstatement, which is different. Uh, something that non-unionized employees generally, for most of uh, for most of them, cannot seek. But that's really a question uh, for the union because an, an employment lawyer can't represent your friend with respect to the grievance itself. That's the union. So even if she accepts this, um, she can still file a human rights claim. If she accepts it, well, no, because if she accepts it, she will probably be signing a release and there will probably be a settlement agreement that will prohibit her from doing that. So if she wants to explore her rights, I think she would have to do it before she's, she accepts that deal, most likely, depending on what they're asking her to sign. But I, I would expect there's probably a release she's being asked to sign. If you want to reach out any further, appreciate the call. Uh, you can call John or uh, Lior at the firm, one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com. For this show, though, lots of time still left for you to call in, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You prefer one 225 talk toll free to ask your questions for the remainder. There's always questions to be uh, to be answered for sure. Jonathan, thank you for uh, hanging on the line, fella. How are you? No problem. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, man, go ahead. So my question is, in my employment contract, it specifically excludes common law severance remedies. And my question, obviously, is, is this, a, is this valid? Does this hold weight? Because if it does, I would imagine that this would be a standard uh, provision that uh, employers would put in every employment agreement. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very good question. That's, it's a very good point. I mean, the, the reality is, is that employers um, have been trying to draft proper termination clauses for decades uh, since, you know, a big Supreme Court uh, decision uh, in the 1990s. And, uh, you know, we've, we're have we almost 30 years in and they still can't seem to get it right and, and still find because most of the time because employers try and get too, too complicated with it. So I'm still seeing a lot of termination provisions uh, that have been drafted in the last 10 years, in the last five years, in the last five months um, that are still very clearly and obviously illegal. In fact, still most of the, amazingly, still most of the termination clauses that I see um, are not in accordance with the Employment Standards Act. And when that happens, they are not enforceable. Now, in your particular case, Jonathan, I, I would have to actually see 
the employment contract. I'd have to review it. But if you if you send me an email and attach that employment contract, I can tell you probably in about five minutes or or, or, or potentially much less uh, if that employment uh, provision is likely to be enforceable. Uh, and if it's not and you end up uh, getting let go, then you could be owed a lot more. So it, we really have to see it. Um, to, to take a look at it, but you should know that there's some some termination provisions are enforceable, but a lot of them are not. Okay, great. Thank you for that. No problem. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate it. you. Want to reach out? Help at employmenthour.com is the email address. Yeah, it's got to be drafted in a certain way, which you guys can do, by the way, for the employers that are listening to the show. You can draft them in a certain way that they, they will be. For the most part, ironclad, or at least trustworthy, unlike some ones that are written on a napkin and, and employers here 20 years later think they can rely on it. And uh, oops, guess not. That's right. I mean, we, we that's actually something that I do in my practice a lot is drafting employment contracts for employers. And, and actually, right. termination clauses are only one piece of it. There's a lot of you, – you often um, can prevent a lot of problems in the employment relationship by making things clear in the contract. So if, if the hours of work are going to need to be flexible, if the place of work is going to need to be flexible, if the duties are going to change at some point, you can make room for all of these things in the employment contract. Employers can give themselves a lot of flexibility. So for employers who want to be proactive and prevent themselves from having legal fees down the line, uh, it, it always makes sense to call an employment lawyer earlier rather than later. And on the employee side, these are things you definitely, beyond your vacation, the amount of pay and holidays you're going to get, these are things you want to look at when you're signing an employment contract, right? And if they want you, they'll be willing to negotiate uh, on either leaving some of them out or, or, or making it a little less restrictive on you, yeah? Yeah, depending on how much they want you there, but yes. And, and yeah. you know, it's funny, a lot of employees will look at their employment contract and when they say, okay, pay, uh, start date, and benefits, great. Sign at the bottom, they skip the next 20 provisions. And then yeah. they find out 10 years later, oops, I just signed away my common law entitlements. Oops, I just agreed to a 12-month non-competition clause. Yeah. Uh, very, very uh, drastic things. So uh, you got to be careful and, and you got to speak to an employment lawyer. So you, you at least know what you're signing. You may not be able to negotiate it, but you should at least go in knowing what you're agreeing to. Big time. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell, one 225 talk That is toll-free. Feel free to call in. Got lots of open lines and lots of time as well. Brian, hello there. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, What's going on, pal? Uh, I worked for a company like probably almost 22 years, and then I was laid off for like eight months. But in the meantime, the company was sold, but I was laid off. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, and I got up to a pretty good wage, and now the boss calls me in, and he wants to be signed something. He's just going to let me go, and he wants to give me like... Uh, two months, two months uh, salary, and now just sign something. I didn't sign anything. Am okay. I entitled to more? So okay, so you've, so they've given you a termination letter. They've said that we're we're your layoff is permanent now. Yeah. Okay, and so you said you worked there for twenty two years, and what's the position you work in? Uh, it's engineering. You're an engineer. Mechanical engineer. Mechanical engineer. Okay. And uh, how old are you right now? Um, 56. 56. Okay. So someone in your position uh, who's who's just been let go could be owed anywhere from, I would say, um, 18 to 24 months of, of your pay. So that, that two months that you've been offered, that's probably around 10% of your total entitlements wow. here. So you're, you're, you're not just entitled to more, Brian. You're entitled to uh, a lot more, especially because you've already been 
Uh, you've already been off for eight months, and I'm, I'm and I'm guessing you you haven't worked in those eight months. Uh, I was on IE or EI. EI, yeah. So you, you've got some serious, serious entitlements here, Brian, and I would strongly recommend uh, that you give us a call uh, as soon as you're able to. This is exactly the kind of thing that uh, we can help you out with, and uh, you're, you're owed a lot why more than that. that? And, and why would they only try and give me, like, two months, like, after all my service? Uh, well, uh, is your employer federally regulated by any chance? No. Uh, then I don't know because that doesn't even uh, comply with the minimum the minimum uh, requirements under the provincial employment uh, employment standards act. So um, ignorance is the only thing that I can come up with. Uh, I usually don't like to assume the worst. So um, my, I'm going to give that company the benefit of the doubt and say they probably just don't know any better. Okay. But definitely give us a call. This is this is a, a very very significant entitlement. We we could be talking about, uh, you know, I won't ask you to disclose how much you, you you earn, but we could be talking about tens and tens of thousands of dollars here. So, um, definitely give us a call as soon as possible. Brian, that number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred again one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. I'll tell you why they offered him below the minimum because they can get away with it. And people who have not savvy to this show and haven't learned from the seven years we've been doing this, sometimes will hook, line, and sinker get caught up in it, sign, and not know any different till later. That's why they do it because they can get away with it. Right? How could you be so cynical, John? <laughs> why would a company ever want to save money? Yeah, why would they? It's a profit-making business. Why would they want to save money? Uh, what's the incentive? Asinine. I don't see it. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sell is the way to go. Steve, thanks for hanging on. How are you? Good evening. Uh, very good. Thank you for taking my call. You um, bet. Thanks I, for I'm calling in. Things from a different perspective here. I'm I'm in the entertainment business, and uh, and I've always taken for granted that you know we never have any benefits or anything. Mm-hmm. So my question is. I work for a corporation every week, once a week, mm-hmm. for, the last, for over 20 years. And I thought, if they ever let me go, would I ever be, you know, would I be eligible for, um, you know, a severance package? Oh, yes, a- absolutely, Stephen. And that is a great question uh, and, and one we, we talk about from time to time on the show. So uh, a part-time employee is entitled to severance just like a full-time employee. The only difference between a part-time employee and a full-time employee for the purpose of severance is that your severance is going to be based on your part-time earnings, of course, right? So when we're talking about eight months pay, for instance, or, you know, if you've been somewhere for 21 years, we could be talking something of like 20, 20 months pay or two years pay. Um, it's not going to be 20 months pay 40 hours a week. It's if you're working, you know, if you're only working eight hours a week, it's going to be 20 months based on eight hours a week. But yeah, absolutely, Steve, you you are uh, protected under uh, under the common law um, and and the Employment Standards Act to to receive severance. So if you go on the severance pay calculator, for example, what you would do is you would just enter your part time income. And the severance pay calculator will tell you how much severance you're going to get based on your part-time income. Well, let, let, me, uh, let me clarify something. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there's no employment contract between us. I provide a service. I give them an invoice once a month. Right, right. But, okay, so, so this, this, this raises two different issues. So the first thing that you, okay. you mentioned is there's no written employment contract. That's actually probably better for you. The best employment contract that you can have as an employee 90% of the time is a handshake, okay? Because that means that it's going to preserve all of your implied rights under the common law, which includes your right to full severance. 
So the fact that there's no written employment contract does not change my opinion at all of what you what you would be entitled to. Now, if you're invoicing them, that means that they're treating you as a contractor. And that's a discussion that we probably won't have time to have on the air. Uh, but like I was talking about towards the top of the hour, um, a lot of people who are paid as independent contractors from a legal perspective aren't actually independent contractors. So we actually need to find out the nature of the relationship. Are you in business for them or are you in business for yourself? And and you may be an independent contractor. That, that happens from time to time. If you're only working there eight hours a week and you have a lot of other sources of income and you maintain control and you hire your own people, it, it's a discussion that we would need to have. And it's um, uh, you know, it's not necessarily uh, black and white uh, at, at the outset. But if we run through the, you know, the various questions that I would have for you, I'd be able to tell you uh, whether you would qualify as an employee. So that, that I think, is actually the biggest question in your situation is, are you an independent contractor or are you an employee? Oh, okay. Being a sole proprietor with my own business, does that change the... Uh so that's one of the indicia that we look at that would suggest that perhaps, perhaps you are an independent contractor, um, but it's not, not always as simple as that. So uh, I'll say, Steve, it's very possible in the circumstances that you are legally an independent contractor, but I'm not going to say that for sure until I had a, a, a more uh, sort of detailed conversation with you. So if you're finding, uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you've been let go or you want to explore whether you are owed... Uh, um, entitlements under the Employment Standards Act, vacation pay, um, overtime, etc. Um, then that's a discussion that that we should have, and uh, certainly that's something we can we can advise you on. I was just curious because I always hear about you know the, the other things you talk about, and it's and it's a great show by the way. This is just, just fantastic. I tell people to listen to the solo side. Well, thanks, Steve. But, uh, Much yeah, appreciated. Thank, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Steve. If you want to reach out, please do so. You probably know the number by now, one 821 5900 or help at employmenthour.com. Would Steve possibly, based on that phone call, would he slide maybe into that third category we don't mention too often being the dependent contractor? Well, it, it depends what his other income is. I mean, if he's working right. one day a week for this place and he's working four days a week somewhere else, uh, I don't I don't know if he would qualify under that, that third category dependent contractor. Um, but but that is a great point. I mean, th- these um, you know these situations are often uh, very nuanced, and uh, it, yeah. it's interesting how the the smallest details can make the biggest difference. So, for instance, the person we were we were speaking to earlier, um, who was asking about you know do I get compensated for travel time? Well, there's a difference if if you're a commissioned salesperson versus if you're a commissioned route salesperson versus if you're a salaried um, salesperson. Right. And some people get compensated for travel time. Some don't. So um, small differences can make a uh, can or small details can make a big difference. So in Steve's case, if he's uh, you know if he's working um, elsewhere, uh, then he may not be a dependent. He, he may uh, not be a dependent contractor. But if he's only working eight hours a week, but it's the only place he works, then yeah, he may be a dependent contractor. Now the that that is one of the differences I guess there is between the two, like you said, nuance between dependent and in, and uh, independent contractor. A dependent contractor, however, does qualify for severance. Yes, most of the time. So a dependent okay. contractor, as long as there isn't a contract that limits their entitlements, a of dependent course. contractor oh. is going to get the same entitlements as everyone else. No different. 
Um, so yeah, if if you if you're the kind of person who maybe um, you know maybe has, works through a corporation, has all your own equipment, um, you know you make some profit, but it's the only place you work for, and you have no other clients then you're entitled to have some notice if that company's going to right. terminate your contract even though you don't have protections under the employment standards act you have a you have a protection for severance it's a it's a weird thing the law sometimes 416-870-6400 star 640 on your cell you still have some time here to call in ask your questions one triple eight two two five talk that would be toll free in the meantime i want to flip over some emails that is help at employmenthour.com chuck writes in says is getting to an argument with a coworker just cause for dismissal that's an interesting question, Chuck. Uh, the uh, the short answer to that is probably not. Uh, yeah. We have cases, in fact, there's been at least two cases in Ontario where an employee has actually come to blows with another employee. And even though, wow. uh, and, and in that case, um, in those cases, it was determined not to be just cause for dismissal. Now, let's be clear, um, getting into a physical altercation at work can be, in some circumstances, just cause for dismissal. But getting into an argument, raising your voice, I don't think so. Probably not. You know, I just got a, I got a quick email from uh, from Ryan, who's of course uh, is is part of our team at the firm, and he he gets he, you know, people listen and they send him emails as well. And the email says, "I have a question. If you were let go from your job and you were entitled to eighteen months of severance, and have to get a lawyer to take your company to court in order to get it, who pays your lawyer's fees?" So I think there's a couple things here. Generally, they don't go to court, and number two, majorities come from the employer. No, am I wrong on both those? Yeah, generally speaking, when we are negotiating a severance package, we're, we're trying to do two things. First of all, we're trying to get a better severance package, obviously, for our yep. clients. And the second thing is we're trying to get the legal fees paid by the employer um, mm-hmm. or, or at least a, a substantial portion paid by the employer. So generally speaking, for, for most of the cases that we, that we negotiate, um, there's no – I mean, there, of course, there is exceptions to this. But for a lot of cases, there's no money that exchanges hands – uh, you know, sort of directly between um, us and the client because the employer is just just pays for everything. Um, so that's why we, you know, we encourage people to call if if they're concerned about the legal fees that they have to pay. Um, that's that's not always going to be a barrier, especially if it's a you know a very very straightforward termination and and uh, the pay is inadequate. Uh, it's usually something that we can we can help uh, and be flexible uh, on legal fees. And it, it, when you think about the essence of it, you're calling uh, an employment lawyer to help you get severance, which means you've been let go, you have no money. So it's obviously not going to be expensive to do this process because you're trying to get money, right? Exactly. And we, and we, and we recognize that, right? And often right. I'll tell people when they call me, they say, the first thing I say is, look, before we even talk uh, about our, you know, our fee structure, let me say that I, I get it. You've just lost your primary source of income and you're probably not right. going to be super excited about investing money right now. So, you know, we fully take that into account when we when we speak to people and we have pretty effective ways at uh, getting around that issue. Marianne just emailed it to help at employmenthour.com. Marianne says, do severance packages include bonuses? Great, great question. So yeah, often, they, yeah, often they do. I mean, what we're going to look at is how much is the bonus? How consistently did you receive it? How much does it compare to your total compensation package? Did you sign anything that speaks to the bonus? Uh, but a lot of the time, the main issue that we're talking about with a severance package uh, is the bonus. Um, and right. so sometimes someone can get a severance package that looks, you know, looks legitimate at the outset, but the bonus is twenty thousand dollars so bonuses can be a big issue and uh you know don't don't let that go by the wayside when you're looking at a severance package 
Busy night, and we'll take it from there. You want to reach out further to get a hold of John Lior, member of the team, very simple, one 821 5900 help at employmenthour.com. We'll be back here on the weekend shows, the Monday night shows, and Employment Hour in 30 happens on Global TV and CTV on the weekend mornings as well. Stick around on point with Alex Pearson is coming right up on Global News Radio.